and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Ozband, our daf of the day, Masachet Ketubot, daf Samach Zion, page 67. Our daf today is long and it is rich. And I said to Yerdena, you know, you know, in preparation, some of the times when the dafim are long, you figure it's a lot of development of the same idea, let's say. And then, you know, we have an easier time picking and choosing what to talk about. Today's stuff was hard to pick and choose what to talk about because it is not a repetition of the same kind of thing. I'm going to start with a Mishnah, um, which is actually towards the bottom of Amad Aleph, but, but Amad Bet is longer. Um, Somebody who marries off his daughter, a man who marries off his daughter, with and doesn't specify what the, di- the dowry is going to be, cannot give her less than 50 dinar. Meaning, there is a range within what that dowry can be, but there's a bare minimum, and that is a 50 dinar. Um, so let's say the bride's father says that she's he's going to give her in marriage, give her, you know, bring her to the marriage, you know, with nothing. He's not going to provide her with anything. So then the husband cannot, should not say, cannot say, should not say, well, when he, when I bring her to my house, I'll give her my clothing, but not in advance. Meaning he has to provide her with clothing when she's still in her father's house because her father has said that he's not going to provide her with anything. Yordana, I feel like this is, you know, a soap opera, a fairy tale, a something is going on. Like, what is the story that the that this girl, this daughter, is going to marry this man who has to even provide her clothing because her father has written her off, right? Well, and, I think we had that story before. We had it with Rabbi Akiva and his wife. Right. But <clears throat> but this is the Mishnah. Oh, you right, think the Mishnah right. was about but it's interesting to see it's sort of like codified into a halacha. It's codified into a halacha. And I think... I think that there's still some drama here that it makes it not the normal case, right? Meaning it can happen. I'm not saying it never happens, but there's still, you know, the the romance novel type of, you know, drama going on behind the scenes that we don't know all the story that would lead this to happen, even with the story of Rabbi Kivan and his wife, meaning the relationship between Rachel and Kalba Savua, like it's not it's not spelled out exactly, right? what really went on that led to this kind of, I'm going to cut you off. I'm cutting you out of my will type of thing. There's always some drama when that happens. And I do think that the mission is choosing the extreme case to make the point the same way that, you know, he still has to give her no less um, than 50 dinar. Because this is the case where he's pledged to give her nothing. So where are those 50 dinar? So likewise, you know, if we've got a tzedakah organization, let's say, who's marrying off a yatoma, uh, an orphan, a girl who's an orphan, then he also, that organization can't give less than 50 dinar. Um, and, and and more than that, if there are, if there's sufficient money, right, meaning if there's money in the pocket to give even more for her, then she should get a proper dowry, and whatever else she needs, you know, lefik foda for her dignity. The idea that um, that even an orphan, right? Even if she's reliant on the tzedakah organization to provide for her, they're supposed to provide for her in a way that is dignified uh, as she goes off to get married. Okay. 
Um, we could talk about the halacha here. We will talk about the halachas of this kind of issue going forward. But on this stuff, we've got a lot of actually kind of fun and interesting, intriguing, puzzling stories. So I'm jumping a bit further on top of bet. So this happened that there, the people in the Galil, in the upper Galil, um, they bought, there's a poor person who had come from, you know, from the aristocracy. And this person is now in Tipori. And every day the people of the town would provide this person with a litra, whatever that amount is, of meat every day. Meaning, the, this is a tzedakah organization, or the people are providing tzedakah to this person who has fallen on hard times. Litra basar mai rabuta. So the Gemara wants to know, like, what's the big deal of this, that they're providing him with a litra of of meat, right? Why Why is this a story? Why is this here? I'm Rav Huna, litra basar michel ofot. So Rav Huna says, really, it was chicken or turkey or goose or something, duck, I don't know. And Rav Huna's claim is that it's very expensive, apparently more expensive, I guess this is a shift between then and now, more expensive than basar, than let's say cattle kind of meat, right? And then uh, if you're saying it wasn't uh, fowl, but really uh, meat, meat, uh, cow meat, Rav so what happens? They say it's a small village, and every day they would, you know, take a whole animal just for this guy, and they would shift it. They would slaughter the animal daily to be able to provide this guy with fresh meat, because they didn't need that much meat in this village. It was a tiny, poor little village, or maybe not so poor, but they're giving of their meat to provide this, you know, member of the aristocracy, a nobleman who's fallen on hard times. So they're providing, I would say, charity, really, but in the form of food. Um, okay, the Gemara goes on. We've got a whole bunch of charity cases, and then I know you're Dana. You've got some that talk about it really even more explicitly. So what happens? Someone comes before Rev Nechemia to ask for tzedakah. He's a, what today, nowadays we call a schnorrer, right? Somebody who comes to beg. And Rev Nechemia says to him, what do you usually eat? I eat the good stuff, right? I'm having fatty meat and aged wine. Rev Nechemia says to him, So Rev Nechemia says, do you want to you know, make yourself lesser and sit down with me and sit down and have lentils with me because that's my regular food, right? Gilgel imoba dashim vamit. So he does this. This this person who usually has a luxuriant meal, meal sits down with Reb Nechemia, has his lentils, and then he wasn't accustomed to the food, he actually dies. And Reb Nechemia says, Oy lo meaning, woe to this guy, who was killed by Nehemia, meaning poor Rev Nehemia, who's sitting there and he's just sharing his meager food and it's no good for this guy. So the Gemara says, no, he should have said, well, it's Nehemia who killed this guy, meaning that wasn't his intent. It's a, it's a bad situation for him. And so the Gemara says, well, really, Nehemia meant that he the the beggar who comes to ask and says he used to be used to this you know fancy food he should not have pampered himself he should not have been treating himself 
Lefnuke, I think of it as like um to spoil himself because if he had not been given to this excess to begin with, then he would have been able to have his digestive system would have been up for things like lentils and he would have been just fine. But because he had kind of geared himself to this kind of indulgence, then, you know, he wasn't up for it. And that's what he caused his own death. Right. So the Gemara goes through, like, do we blame the guy? Do we blame Rav Nechemia? Do we blame the guy? And we have another story. But I want to point out that Rav is really just trying to be nice, at least at the beginning. Right. This is my food. I'll share it with you. How the atl kami the rava? So somebody comes before rava to ask for tzedakah. So again, food. Amarlo b'matasoid. What do you eat? Amarlo b'tarnagolit p'tuma v'yayin yashan. So again, he says, I usually eat this, you know, indulgent, luxurious food, uh, a fattened hen, food, chicken, whatever, um, and old wine. Amarle lo chayst leduchaka de tzibura. And rava says to this guy who says that's what he usually eats. He says, aren't you worried about being a burden on the whole community for asking for such, you know, expensive food? So he says, I, I, am I supposed to eat from their funds? Meaning, am I eating from the people's money from the community? He says, who says I'm eating from their money? I'm give, I'm eating with the support of Rahmana, of Hashem, of God, right? Meaning, because we have this verse from Tehillim, and everybody will recognize it, I think, from Ashrei, right? That the eyes of everybody are, are on you or wait for you, and you give to everybody the proper food in the right time. Fine. So what happens? Be'itam. At the time, lo namar ela be'ito. It doesn't say at their time. It says at his time. The, the, um, we're going to explain that verse to teach that when God provides for each and every person, right, that, that sustenance, that food at the proper time, it means that whatever it is that they're going to get, the community becomes the agent of God to provide that food for the guy. So therefore, he says, I'm, I'm doing the right thing and establishing my own standard and expecting the community to provide for me because really it's God who's designating that for me because that was always my standard. So I think we could argue that differently, but he's certainly making the case for himself. So while they're talking, Rava's sister comes in. Now, apparently, they haven't seen each other for 13 years. Rava's sister and Rava. And she brings exactly this kind of food. The fatted chicken, hen, whatever, and aged wine. So Rava says to himself, you know, how the, what is this before me? Right? Like, how do I get this food that I don't usually eat this kind of food? And so then he understands, you know, that God indeed provided for this guy to get the food that he was supposed to, that he was accustomed to have, that he was planning to have, namely that kind of fatted hen and that kind of old wine was suddenly in Rav's household because of the gift of his sister. So he's going to turn it over to this poor person to provide for him as he had been accustomed to have. I'm not sure what the sister would have thought about this, but it speaks to the idea that tzedakah is or you know, when you can provide food to the person in in accord with what they were accustomed to, that might well be the best way to do it. 
look, I think it's really interesting just stories there are in this stuff. And like, on the one hand, they try to make a halakhic case for how tzedakah is supposed to be given. But ultimately, it's really being taught by a variety of different examples, uh, you know, from uh, from the Tanayim and Amorayim, primarily actually through the Amorayim, which is also interesting. Yeah, I think that's the case. I think it's interesting that I feel like the stories are here. Maybe this isn't, I feel like we could understand this without the stories. I don't think we need the stories this time to understand it. I think they're here because they happened. Because this is part of the way people functioned. People did come and ask for for, for charity, for food, you know. So everybody's got a story. Right. And I think you're sort of seeing like how these towns, you know, how these places functioned, right? And that there was, you know, the way we have today. There are people who are blessed with more wealth, people who rely on the community for funds. And I think we're sort of seeing by example, how were these things, you know, how these things were treated. So I'm going to move on to a different set of stories, which involves Marukva. So just to do a little bit of a who's who, he actually was a Reish Galuta during the time of Shmuel. Um, and, um, you know, he obviously he's considered to be a first generation Amora. Um, and his one of his Talmudim is Rav Chista. So just and also Rabbi, and Rav Zera. So just keep that uh about him. Um, and these stories on this page about his giving tzedakah are probably some of the more uh, stories uh, about him, I would say. So, uh, you know, we're, that's why I wanted to do like a little bit of a who's who uh, about him. So we'll just read a few things about him. Okay. So the first one says the following. Okay. So it talks about how there was a poor person where Marukva lived. And every day he would basically throw four dinars to him, right? Arba Zuze, everybody should have Chagadja on their head now. Um, at, at the hint, like at the hint, Sinur de Dasha is like the hinge of the door. Yom Echad, right? Uh, one day the poor person says, Amar, Azel Ichaze Man Bi Yufta. I'm going to go see and figure out who does this good thing for me. Hachu Yoman Hagale Lamar Ukva. The day that he said he was finally going to go out and check who was doing this, Marukva was was delayed uh, in the in the Beit Midrash, and his wife came with him to give out the tzedakah. So when the people who were in the poor person's house saw that somebody was turning the door, the poor person went out to see who it was exactly. Right, so what did they do? They ran away before him and they entered like a furnace um, whose fire was already raked over. So this part of the story is a little strange. Like in other words, they see that they're going to be found out. They quickly run away and they somehow end up like in a room with a furnace with hot coals, okay? How they come, Miglane Karie, the Mar Ukva. And so what happens it singes Mar Ukva's legs. Amr right? So his wife says to him, raise your legs and put them on my legs because her legs weren't burnt. So Mar Ukva gets very upset, right? Why is he upset? Because he sees uh, that, you know, they both were participating in this mitzvah. 
but somehow he gets hurt while doing the mitzvah and she, so he's she's she sees that he's upset and she says right so she says i'm usually in my house and my what literally means like my assistant is ready what the Mepharshim explainer is that what she's saying is, is that she actually gave bread. She didn't give money. And so what she's saying to him is actually the way I give tzedakah is better because that's something a poor person can use right away. It's not like they have to take the money, buy food and prepare food. They can use it right away. So the tzedakah I give is actually better than the tzedakah you give. And so then the Gemara Nice thing says, to say to her husband under those circumstances. Yeah, it's 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 a very strange story. I mean, I don't get the part about like how they end up in the furnace. Umay kule hai, right? And you know, so then the Gemara sort of says like, what about this? Like, why did they want to make sure that they weren't found out? The Amar Marzutra Bartuvia Amar Rav. So Marzutra Bartuvia says the name Rav. Imri Le Rav Huna Bar Bizna Amar Rav Shimon Chasida, right? And Rav and some say that Rav Huna Bar Bizna said and Rav Shimon. Chista said, right? So a third opinion of who said this. Better a person goes into a fiery furnace so that he doesn't embarrass his friend in public. So I, I think this whole thing about the furnace is really like, it's a metaphor, the story of Mar Ufa, because you also have this sort of phrase of like, better for you to sort of like, burn yourself, you know, send yourself than whiten somebody else, right? Minalan, right? And who do we learn this from? Mi Tamar And who we learn this from the story of Tamar and Yehuda, which is in Bereshi chapter 38, right? That she, uh, Tamar, you know, technically uh, could have been executed. She basically goes privately to Yehuda instead of sort of publicly identifying him as the father of her unborn child and, you know, embarrassing him. So uh, so we see the links to which she went to not embarrass Yehuda, even though she, you know, would have been legitimate because she needed to save her life. So again, I don't know that the story of Marufa is trying to be like a historical accurate. I think it's more trying to tell us something about the way to give tzedakah and contrasting his behavior to his wife's behavior. Now we have another story. So there was another poor person in his neighborhood and he would send him 400 dinars on Arab Yom Kippur. One year he sent the money with his son. The son comes back and says, this person doesn't need, doesn't need tzedakah. He says, so what did you see? So he saw that he was spilling wine, right? Remember, they had dirt floors on the ground because it made the room smell. So the son thinks if this guy can afford to pour wine on the ground, right? How could it be possible? You know what I mean? That, um, you know, uh, that. Amar mifane kule hai. I fin hu hu. So he says if he lives a life where he can afford to put where he was accustomed to putting wine basically on the floor, right? Then this is a person who's accustomed to a nice life. So therefore I'm going to actually double and send him more, right? And then finally it says, Kika ni so Marufa's dying. Amar, and he says, Ati li bring me my charity records. 
Ashkita Habikati Beshivat Alfei Dinares Siyadke. So in there was that he gave 7,000 Sinake, right, dinars to charity. Amar, he says, Zavade Kalilev Orcha He says, My provisions are light and the way is far. Meaning he's saying, I actually didn't give enough tzedakah, he thinks, to sort of like he's on his deathbed and he's worried he didn't give enough tzedakah. So he gets up and he spends the other half of any money he has left by giving it to Zedakah. And how could he do this? And remember, we learned this a few dapim ago, right? right? Remember, we learned this specifically about Usha. Again, this is a Tana Edict in, in uh, Edict, right? If you're going to spend money on tzedakah, you shouldn't give away more than one-fifth of your money. And he gave away half. This is while you are alive. Because, you know, we don't want him to become poor. But after he dies, there's no problem with it. You don't have, and so what we learn from the story is, is that and so when I read this, I said to Anne, now I know what the title is, Warren Buffett was right. You're actually not obligated to leave your children money. In fact, one could argue from the story about Marutva, what it's actually trying to teach us is, is that there isn't necessarily a value to inherited wealth. One can basically give away all their money on their deathbed. He gives away half Marutva because it says you don't actually, the issue more is that you give away so much wealth that you become poor. But there's no issue in not leaving your children an inheritance, which is very, uh, which is very in- interesting. Gamar continues with, with a few other uh, stories, uh, one about Rabbi Abba and how he also would sort of give uh, money without being seen and without people being embarrassed. Um, uh, but but stories about Marukva, obviously we see, you know, for he was a very prominent person. Doesn't mention here that he was the Reish Galuta, um, but, you know, that he went to great lengths to support many people in his community and even on his deathbed was concerned that maybe he didn't even give enough tzedakah. I think that the realia here, right, this idea of, you know, providing for the needy in the community is kind of, I don't know, like even more down to earth, real um, righteousness that we see amongst the sages here, right? Like each one of them tries to help Ma'ukva all the more so. And I feel like, I don't know that, like, we're not in a, in an area of, of, Talmud, where I would think that this is where we're going to talk about how important it is to give stuck, right? Like we've kind of moved here because of providing for the providing for the woman under whatever different kinds of circumstances. And now, by the way, once we're here, we'll talk about other food that's given to other people. And I think that it kind of shows how important this issue was, you know, in a in a real day to day community kind of way. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, I also think it shows you like this issue of tzedakah, it's age old and will always be age old. Like there's always going to be people in a community who are able to give more and always unfortunately going to be people who are going to need to take. And we can relate it back a little bit. It, it even was on the top of this stuff, like the story of, uh, you know, of Nakti Known and his daughter, he was like one of the most prominent people. And in the end, his wife is poor. His daughter is poor, excuse me. So I, there's something about this that feels like cyclical and it's just sort of embedded into the human condition. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, that's our tap discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you for hosting us on the Hydrum website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.